Our scripture reading this evening is Colossians chapter 3, the verses 12 through 17, and our text is verse 16. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. You may have noticed that I, in these last few verses, I just skipped over every, not in reading, but in preaching, every reference to thanksgiving. I'm saving them up for next week. <laughs> well, and next week, I don't know, morning or evening, I haven't thought that far yet, but we will certainly have at least one Thanksgiving sermon on the Thanksgiving references in this passage. Well, we spent a lot of time uh, in the last few weeks thinking about uh, the first part of this passage that we read together that describes Christian character. And now we come to verse 16, which deals with different subject matter. And that's, that is one of the beautiful things about um, preaching through books in sequence. In one sense, there is a certain discipline involved. You're not flying all over the place in the Bible every week. But on the other hand, there does tend to be, uh, especially in, 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 a, in a, a book like a, an epistle, quite a bit of variety in subject matter. So that's, that's a wonderful thing of uh, preaching through books systematically. If you're visiting with us, I see you do whatever, or online. Um, we're working our way systematically through Paul's letter to the Colossians. In most of our preaching, we work our way systematically through uh, books of the Bible because we, we believe that's the best way to expose ourselves to as much of the Bible as possible. The Bible itself teaches us in Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Now, one of the implications of believing that the Bible is inerrant and authoritative word of God, one of the implications of that is that we seek to submit to, to whatever it teaches in dependence upon God. And one of the things that that means for a preacher is that you always want to preach any text as accurately as possible, even if in the process of your study you discover that the text is teaching something different than you were expecting it to teach and even hoping it to teach. I had to submit to that uh, this week um, <clears throat> in connection with this text because um, 
I've never preached on this text before. Of course, I've looked at it, but not as closely as this week. And I was expecting to teach on something somewhat different, not totally, but somewhat different than it does actually teach. So the text reads, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And I was, when I approached this text, I was expecting it to be uh, about letting the word of God dwell in us richly. And then three things in um, coordinated with each other, uh, teaching, admonishing, and singing. And by, so by that reading, you have three coordinate subjects here. But as I studied it, I came to the conclusion that it's about singing. It's all about singing. And so the idea is that we are to teach and admonish one another by singing. And as I said, I was hoping it was going to be about teaching and admonishing and singing, three different subjects, but I had to submit to the conclusion that it is about teaching and admonishing by means of singing. So it's about singing. And the reason that that is the, uh, almost certainly the right way to read the text is a parallel passage from uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that is chapter 5, 19 and, uh, 18 and 19. And that, that text says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there you have that idea. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So Paul is speaking about addressing one another by singing. And that strongly suggests in our text that what he has in mind is that we are to teach and admonish one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, of course, there are lots of other passages that teach us to teach and to admonish one another by speaking. That, of course, is a very important part of Christian life. But the point of this passage is that we are to do that by means of singing. So let the word of Christ dwell <clears throat> dwell in us, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Now singing is very important in Christianity. The Bible has many songs and poems. Uh, there are many exhortations for, for Christians to sing. Singing is an important expression of worship and thanksgiving. Singing is an important expression of joy, and <clears throat> there are lots of reasons for joy and for worship on the part of the people of God. And indeed, the heart of all true joy is the God of our salvation. It's no wonder that singing is such a significant part of our worship and life when we have such a glorious God. And singing is also used in Christianity as to express sorrow and anguish, as we see many times in the Psalms of Lament. God, as the Creator, has designed music. He has embedded music into the creation, which means he has created us <clears throat> with the capacity and the urge to sing. And life as a follower of God provides many reasons for singing and opportunities for singing. Now, in this text, Paul does not <clears throat> carefully delineate the context that he has in mind for the singing that he is talking about in our text. 
the letter as a whole is addressed to the church. And of course, that means that an important part of what he is saying is that Christians ought to be singing when they gather together as the church. Clearly, he is envisioning corporate singing because he's telling us to teach and to admonish one another by means of singing. So that will clearly involve worship services, but the text is general enough to include all kinds of different situations in which Christians sing together. Certainly, Paul is thinking about worship services here, but we go further than the text goes if we say that Paul is only thinking about worship services here. What Paul is talking about involves singing in all kinds of situations. And the point of the text that Christians should admonish, preach and admonish one another by means of singing, that sounds rather odd. Perhaps you imagine a preacher singing his sermon, or one Christian singing to another, exhorting that person to be more faithful in their Bible reading. Or more naturally, we can think of a Sunday school teacher or a mom or a dad teaching children a song to help them memorize the books of the Bible, for instance, or many of the other kids' songs that are often used to teach children the truths of the Word of God. But obviously obviously what Paul is talking about here includes more than teaching children, although that is certainly one good application of what he is saying here. Paul is speaking of this teaching and admonishing going on through singing much more generally in the singing of the church. And his point here is that one of the great purposes of our singing as believers is teaching and admonishing one another. The truth here is that by is that singing teaches and admonishes us, <clears throat> and that when we sing together, we are teaching and admonishing one another. This is a very important insight. The songs that we listen to influence us profoundly. The songs that we sing and, and listen to shape us profoundly. That is a very significant reason for us to be very careful and discerning about the songs that we sing and that we listen to. There's a lot of music. I'm just talking about music in general in our lives. A lot of music available to us that teaches and admonishes us away from biblical truth and morality. Music, and especially lyrics, convey opinions, worldviews, values. They stimulate lusts as well as wholesome desires. Most of the music that the world produces expresses untruth and lies and encourages godlessness and immorality. The truth that Paul is expressing here works both ways. If the songs are rooted in the word of Christ, the teaching and the admonishing by singing builds people up towards godliness. If they are rooted in godlessness, 
They are rooted in rebellion against God. The teaching and admonishing going on is moving in the other direction. So we must be very careful what we listen to, what we sing, what kind of songs we allow to be embedded in our brains. Now, there is common grace and there is some secular music that expresses truth and goodness and beauty. But we must be very, very careful when it comes to secular music because the majority of it is anti-God, it is anti-God propaganda, and it, it is intended to teach us and to admonish us away from God and pleasing Him. In the light of this text, I ask you to think of your music libraries, think of the kind of music you listen to, and consider how it is discipling you, how the music you are listening to is teaching and admonishing you to live. So anyway, Paul is telling us here to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another by singing. So we're to teach and admonish one another by singing, and as we do that, we are to be allowing the word of Christ to be dwelling in us richly. We are, if we are to admonish, teach and admonish one another by means of singing, we are to be involved in singing together with other Christians. It's a call here at its most obvious level for Christians to sing together. Now, that is not news, of course. <clears throat> but the point here <coughs> is that When we do that, we are teaching and admonishing one another. We are engaged in something that is a means that God has provided for us to teach and admonish one another. Christian singing together has a teaching and admonishing function. And we are not just recipients of that teaching and and admonishing. We are teachers and admonishers when we sing together. Now, the fact that teaching and admonishing here is to happen by means of singing suggests that there is an important role for beauty and for emotion in learning and growing as Christians. Obviously, there is an important place for the mind in learning and growing as Christians. And that aspect is not absent when we're thinking about singing. But addressing the mind is pretty much covered, not entirely, but pretty much covered by teaching and preaching and admonishing one another by speaking. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that there is something about singing that is not present to the same degree, at least, in non-singing, teaching and admonishing. Singing has its own beauty. Singing has a way of moving us emotionally that is somewhat different than speaking. The difference, again, is the distinction is not absolute because preaching, for instance, can and should affect us emotionally as well as um, mentally, but, and also just, just meditating on the Word of God all by itself 
can touch our emotions. But singing takes this to a higher level. That's what it's intended to do. Singing teaches and admonishes us in ways that is not the case, in the same degree at least, in speaking. It does that by conveying the beauty of God and the blessedness of living the life to the glory of God in a way that is more artsy, something along those lines. And this is very interesting. The implication of this is that learning and growing in the Christian life involves our emotions as well as our minds. To grow in knowledge of God and to grow in our love of the way of obedience involves not only knowing but delighting, joy, savoring the beauty and the glory of God and the rightness and the blessedness of obedience. And we see this, of course, in the Psalms, which are all poetry, all designed to be sung as well as read and prayed. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you do that mentally? Tasting is experiential. To speak of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is to speak of experiencing His goodness, delighting in His goodness, savoring His goodness. Psalm 119, 90, uh, 47 says, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. So growing as a Christian involves so much more than just filling our minds with truth. Even though, as I say every time, that is important, very, very important. But it's not the whole Story. Growing as a Christian also involves growing in love and growing in delight in God and growing in delight in His will for our lives. And it is that reality that is behind the relationship between preaching and admonishing one another in general and preaching and admonishing one another by singing. Singing teaches and admonishes us in ways that speaking cannot do to the same degree. Although singing together with others, through singing together with others, we are impacted by the truth in a way that speaks more directly to our emotions, and so we learn and grow through experiencing delight and beauty and all the emotions and experiential aspects of growing as a Christian. And this insight helps us to see why singing is so important, but it also helps us to see why we are all called to teach and admonish one another by means of singing. <clears throat> there is something about singing together that makes a huge difference in the effect that singing has upon us. And we've all experienced that when we were worshiping exclusively online. 
No doubt we all felt to some degree that the singing was missing something really, really important when we were just singing alone or with our husband or wife or with our family. And the fewer the people in our homes, in front of our computers, the more we felt that the singing didn't touch us in the same way that singing does in the congregation. We missed singing together as a congregation. And so this is, this is where we see why tells, Paul tells us to be teachers and admonishers of one another by singing. Every voice is important for the teaching and admonishing that Paul is talking about here. Every voice contributes to the emotional experience of singing together so that we all are contributing to the effect that God intends congregational singing to have. One of the wonderful things about this is that we can, ex- can contribute to the sanctifying effectiveness of singing regardless of how gifted or ungifted we are in terms of our singing. Those who are good at it, they help the singing. They help teaching and admonishing in a very deep way by helping the singing to be beautiful. For instance, those of you who sing harmony contribute wonderfully to the beauty of the singing. And the beauty, the beauty of the singing helps it to do its teaching and admonishing thing in our hearts because it moves us. Those who can't sing harmony but can, can hold a tune contribute wonderfully to the beauty of singing as well. <clears throat> but the really cool thing is that that does not, that um, the fact that, that skillful singers are so helpful for this whole reality to be taking place. The really cool thing is that that does not take away one little bit from the meaningful contribution to the overall effect of those who are not skillful in singing. Even the least skillful singer contributes to the overall effect if they are singing enthusiastically. Because the enthusiasm <clears throat> contributes its own kind of beauty to the overall experience. The beauty of the lovely sound of skillful singing is mixed with the beauty of the discordant enthusiasm so that the total effect contributes to the sanctifying influence of the singing. The objective beauty matters, but so does the emotional contribution of every enthusiastic singer. And therein lies our responsibility. In order to truly contribute to the singing and admonishing of one another, uh, the, the teaching and admonishing one another by singing, we need to be engaged emotionally in the singing. The most off-tune singer contributes to the energy if he or she is making a joyful noise unto the Lord. 
but the person who sings with no enthusiasm sucks away the emotional impact of the singing. And so what Paul is telling us to do here requires effort and engagement when we sing together. We contribute to the teaching and admonishing of one another by singing when we contribute to making the singing a soul-stirring experience. And that's what Paul here is telling us to do. This is one of the ways that we help one another to grow in our love for God and in our enthusiasm for living life for His glory. We help one another to taste and see that the Lord is good. We help one another to grow experientially in love for God and in delight in His ways and in His will for our lives. And that is a beautiful thing. And in this light, we can understand the first part of the verse, which says, let, us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we sing and admonish one another by singing, we are, allow, we are to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. So we are active when we teach and admonish. Those are active. We are active when we teach and admonish one another by singing, but at the same time, we are also receiving from one another when we are singing together. And so at the same time, we are ministering to others and being ministered to by others. And the first part of the verse suggests that being receptive to the word of Christ, being ministered to us, in song, equips us to minister the word of Christ to others richly. So the relationship here between allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly and teaching and admonishing one another by singing describes a wonderfully enriching experience in which ministering to others and being ministered to by others is going on at the same time. And no wonder then that singing together is such a rich and edifying experience. And this is such a wonderful clause here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Requires that the songs that we sing are rich in the word of Christ. That word of Christ refers ultimately to the whole message of the Bible. It can be understood grammatically as the word about Christ. It can be understood as the word from Christ. There's no need to make a a decision between them because the two thoughts interpenetrate one another. Paul is speaking about the message of Christ, which is also the message from Christ, which is the whole word of God. Jesus himself taught us that the old, old Testament pointed to him. Think of those wonderful words that he spoke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, Luke 24, 27, beginning from Mo- with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Paul in Romans 10, 17 wrote, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. One of the ways that faith comes and is strengthened 
is when the word of Christ dwells in us richly as we minister to others and are ministered by, to by others in the singing of the church. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul writes that Christ had sent him to preach the gospel. In verse 18 there, he writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That powerful word of the cross is ministered to us in the singing of the church as well as in the preaching of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 1.8, he refers to it as the word of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he refers to it as the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, he refers to it as a word from the Lord. The word of Christ is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus. It's the good news of the new life that believers receive in Christ so that they begin to live life, the life that is truly life. It's the good news that involves not just individuals and not even only just the people of God, but the renewal of all things. And so the hope in the promised new heavens and new earth. So Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he's talking about singing. Singing is one of the ways that the word of Christ dwells in us richly. The word of Christ dwells in us in other ways. But here Paul is talking about singing. And we know, and we know what he means when we think of how the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs can dwell deeply in our memories and become part of the very fabric of our hearts so that when we sing them, they touch us very deeply. Paul also mentions that we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That happens when the songs that we sing express the word of Christ. Paul has taught earlier in Colossians 2.3 that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is about skill in living because we have been shaped and molded and matured by the word of Christ. <clears throat> Remember how Paul had earlier written in this letter, chapter 127, of the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he continued in chapter 128, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly through teaching and admonishing, ministering, admonishing one another, and simultaneously being taught and admonished by one another in song is one of the ways, one of the means that Christ uses to give us wisdom and thus maturity. And again, that involves more than filling our heads with truth, as important as that is. It involves growing in our love for Christ, growing in our love for his will for our lives, and so singing it's part of the way that maturity and wisdom are nurtured. 
Now, Paul mentions three kinds of songs that are to be used in the singing that he is speaking about in this verse, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There are those who believe that this refers to three kinds of psalms, but very solid, very few solid Christian interpreters are convinced by those arguments in, in support of that conclusion. This verse certainly exhorts us to sing the psalms of the Old Testament. They are a most rich part of the word of Christ, which is to dwell in us richly through our singing. But just as God expects the teaching of the church to restate the truth of the word of God rather than simply reread it, and just as, Paul, as God expects the prayers of the church to express our worship and our petitions in words that come from our hearts, so we are encouraged to sing of Christ and salvation in him, not only in the Old Testament language of the Psalms, wonderful though that is, but also in creative lyrics that accurately convey the word of Christ in song. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs speak of a rich diversity in the singing of the church. The New Testament itself contains many parts of hymns and spiritual songs that reflect the creativity of the church, the early church in its song. So rather than being restrictive here, these three categories by, by restricting them to only to psalms, Paul is using those three words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, to encourage the church to, to use a wide variety of songs and to produce a rich and varied library of song, to use the creativity of gifted lyrists and musician to help the church to fulfill this mandate of teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is very important from this verse, however, is that by, singing, by the singing of them, the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. <clears throat> that suggests songs that are substantial, that are loaded with the glorious truth of Christ. There are Christian songs, as you know, that are filled with error <clears throat> or that are so superficial and sentimental that they are very unuseful. There can be many Christian, there are many Christian songs out there that do not pass the test of this verse. Because they do not help the people of God let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. And so we have to be discriminating even with Christian music. But thankfully there is a great deal of music out there that satisfies this criterion of letting the word of Christ dwell richly in the minds and hearts of the people of God. So let us sing. So much reason for us to sing as Christians. God is our God, we are his people. God is a father, as our father, we are his children. Jesus died for us on the cross, rose from the dead, we died and rose with him. And so we have eternal life. Let us sing with all our hearts 
so that whether we are skillful or not, we contribute to this wonderful ministry of teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing so that we can help one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we come before you and we, we worship you for your great creativity. That you are the creator of beauty, of loveliness, of delight, both in terms of we being able to discern it and in terms of it being there in creation objectively. We thank you for the, the gift of music. We mourn the way that it has been so misused in history and particularly in our own time so that its purpose is completely opposite of your purpose for it because so much of it is designed to lead people away from you and your will. But we do thank you and praise you for the beauty of the music that you have given to us, beginning with the Psalms, but building on that foundation and on the foundation of the New Testament, putting the glorious truths of Christ into lyrics and to, to music, and the way in which that, that has moved the hearts of your people through the ages and still today. We thank you for this, this wonderful reality that we are so much more than simply minds, that you have made us complex beings and that growing in you is more than just growing in intellectual knowledge, but growing in loving you, in delighting you, in in, in delighting in your ways. We thank you for the richness of that experience in our own lives. And we delight to reflect on the way in which singing together contributes uh, to our spiritual growth. And Lord, we pray that that may that we may be more conscious of that going forward and just delight more and more in the great blessing that you have given to us of music, of singing, by which the word of Christ can dwell in us richly, by which we can teach and admonish one another and be taught and admonished by one another. In Jesus' name, amen.